Are you ready to go? I am ready to go. I'll give it my best. Let's do it. Thank you for joining us on The Change Artist, where we bring our listeners stories and great advice for leading and following through change from business leaders who are making a difference in their organizations. Here on The Change Artist, our motto is, if change is the only constant in life, let's do it better. So let's jump right in. Brian, what is your top piece of advice for leading through change? Hey, Alyssa, thanks for asking. So, you know, with all the change that I've been through, big company, small company, the biggest piece of advice that I have for leading through change is to be transparent with people. Change is, like you said, it's constant. So we need to do it better. It's also very stressful, right? No matter what you're doing, it's a stressful situation. New job, that's great news, stressful. And then the ambiguity of maybe negative changes, right? Reorganizations in your, in your business or a new boss or a new job that you didn't want. I think just being transparent with the people that look up to you as a leader, letting them know what you know and giving them the confidence that you'll share with them what you know as you know it. I think that's probably the best piece of advice that I could give for leading through change. I love that. For those of you who don't know him, Brian Class is a senior finance and operations leader with broad experience with a number of different brands that you'll recognize, Mercedes-Benz, Waleda, Unilever. So Brian, I want to dig into transparency a little bit. There are some changes that we want and changes that are good for us. And then there are changes that maybe we don't want and that the outcome isn't positive for us as individuals. How as a leader do you think about transparency and balancing some of the positives and negatives for your audience? You know, how do you talk to somebody in a transparent way that also respects their fears, your audience's fears, and perhaps your audience's less than ideal outcomes? Yeah. So first thing I want to do when I'm transparent with people is to understand where they're coming from. Part of being transparent with people is already having that relationship with them. So you have a great relationship with people you might work with on a more regular basis, right? Your, your direct team, your direct business partners, you've built that rapport by working shoulder to shoulder, being in the trenches, but really understanding where they're coming from because people want to hear certain things. You don't want to lie to people, but you want to meet them at their level where their fears are. And by getting to know people, by understanding where they're coming from, what motivates them, why they work, do they work for identity? Do they work for to provide for their family, maybe some combination of the both, right? You, you want to be transparent in a way that, that allays any fears that relate to the things that are important to them. The other thing is always just putting yourself in their shoes. To me, being transparent to people is speaking to myself, right? About how I'd want to hear the message. Well, what are my fears? So if I could be transparent about my fears and then sharing those fears, even with my team, you want to be a human to them, right? And part of that being transparent to them is showing your own human emotion. It could be as simple as, hey guys, I don't even know what's going on either. I don't know what, where the outcome is, but I will tell you that I'll keep you informed of what's going on. I'll always represent your best interest. Feel free to talk to me at any time, right? And I'll give you the feedback that I can as accurately, as truthfully, as quickly as I can. When you think about transparency, and a lot of what you described feels like sort of one-on-one -on -one or leading a small team, but I know you've had roles leading larger organizations, right? You've had roles leading small teams and also CFO roles in the past. And so how does your approach to transparency change as you have to start delivering messaging at scale? Yeah. So when you can't have that individual relationship, right? Like at a smaller team or an operating team, and you have to talk to a whole company where you have, you know, 30, 40, 50, couple hundred people, you know, you want to make sure that your messaging is consistent as a leadership team, you're together. So you can all be equally transparent and be aligned in your messaging, right? Because once you start changing your message, if you get inconsistent messages from leadership, you're going to lose your transparency, lose your credibility, and have your honesty and integrity questioned. So at scale, you want to make sure you're aligned with all the other 
message bearers and message givers. And that could be anywhere from individual conversations, let's make sure we're all on the same song sheet, to corporate communications, emails, messages, website postings, things like that, internal message boards, anything that has a corporate face to it. You want to make sure that it's also clear there because you won't be able to speak to somebody individually. And at the same time, all of those messages have to be able to address at some way or another, that broad spectrum of people from that new employee to that senior employee, tenured employee, from that clerical worker to a, a business unit director, right? They all have different fears. They all have different anxieties and places to be. You want to make sure that your message is broad enough, yet still specific enough to move them forward towards understanding what's going on. So how do we think about delivering those messages and being authentic in today's environment? I mean, three years ago, we would talk about having face-to-face -face skip levels. We would talk about having the CEO or member of the C-suite come and talk to your all hands, but be physically in person and sort of demonstrate with their person, their authenticity, deliver the message. We don't live in that world today. Many of us are home, if not full-time, then on a hybrid schedule and face-to-face -face interaction has fallen precipitously. How do you deliver that authentic message? Yeah. So, so the first thing, of course, is to have your cameras on, right? That's a simple one, right? Because you can still get at least some body language, some facial expression, some focus. And, and if you're lucky and you have a team that's willing to also put their cameras on, you can also see certain reactions of things going on. Even at my current organization where we're thousands of employees, when the global CEO comes on, he's on, right? It's not just his voice, it's his face. You can see his background, even if it's a Zoom imaginary background, right? He's got something going on uh, where we can see. The other thing that's important when thinking about communicating over distance or communicating over time is to have that open Q&A. So another thing that I've seen that I really like is as opposed to being like, well, we're gonna have question and answer now. And some guy reads off a script, some pre-canned questions from the management team or the PR folks having an open Q&A in a Zoom call, in a Teams meeting, whatever the case may be, where people can see and vote on the questions they want to have asked and see them rise to the top and then make sure the guy or gal who's moderating the, the conversation asks those questions that are at the top, even if they're horrible questions that nobody wants to answer. Like, are we all going to get fired? Or what does this mean for my paycheck? Or you guys are a bunch of idiots. You know, what are you thinking? Right. All those things. And then you have somebody answer those. So I think those are, are two very simple steps. So it's visualization as much as you can. And then also transparency through the Q&A. You know, really that uh, raw press conference feel uh, makes people feel confident that, yeah, even when you're trying to throw them off, they're being transparent with us. They're being as honest with us as they can. And one of the things I found, and I quote this from a former CEO of mine, is when you don't know the answer or you're unsure of the change or the transition that might take place, speak it. So even on, on a grand scale, you know, I remember we had a reorg at Walita and the CEO of the time goes, listen, we reserve the right to shoot ourselves in the foot. This is what we're planning on doing. If nothing's written in stone though. So like if six months from now, eliminating this department or changing the way we do this type of work doesn't work out, we might unwind and rewind. And that allows people also to see like, hey, you're human. If you ask me a question I don't know the answer to, I might just say, I don't know, but I'm going to get back to you as opposed to let me read some canned response that's irrelevant to your question. I have to ask now, right? What is the weirdest question you've seen come up in those kinds of forums? A lot of, not, not the weirdest, but probably the, the, the one that's the hardest to answer is always, you know, the angry questions or the, we work hard, things are fine. People from their, from their finite view put forth a controversial kind of statement. 
right? That's not necessarily based in, in broad facts, but in their very narrow focused world. So you have to bring transparency to that as well. So yeah, this might not be the best thing for you and your job, for your role, for your customer or your product group or whatever the case may be, but it's what's best for the business and the change transition again, good or bad. There's always some kind of consequence to it somewhere, right? But you have to, you have to let everyone see kind of the big picture. So you get these weird questions. You get these angry questions, put yourself in their shoes. Their job is just to do their job, right? They're not senior leaders. They don't have this broad perspective. They might not be type A go-getters. They're just, Hey, I just want to come in and like, you know, tick the box. And now you move the box. Like, now what do I do? Like you move my box. So you have to be relevant to them and, and, and understanding of where they're coming from. Makes sense. Have you ever seen, or can you think of a time when you've seen this done really well? I have to say like my time at Walita, you know, I was there for seven years at a CFO, at a great CEO. We did a number of change things. The lead that our CEO took, always leading with empathy, was to me the best way possible. Allaying fears, being humble, saying, hey, we might shoot ourselves in the foot, but this is the plan explaining to people why. Why would we move from Rockland County, New York, where everybody lived, to Westchester County, New York, on the other side of the Tappan Zee Bridge? Why would we do that? And it was, well, it fits in our strategy as a business, right? We want to grow our business. We want to be more relevant in the marketplace. We want to attract talent from the city. And explaining that to folks, like, we're just not moving because we want nicer offices or because somebody lives over there. His transparency, his empathy to people, and his ability to cut with a very sharp blade between personal and professional. This is about business. It's not about you individually. It's about the business and what's best for the business, which in the end, and then making that transition and making that connection, which should be best for you too. The better we do as an organization, the better that we'll do as individuals. And his, his ability to explain that to people, which is something I still can't do as well as he ever did. Right? How do you explain that to make it relevant to folks? Because I mean, I, I honestly, I was upset to move across the river. I just been in the company like nine months and he said, oh, we're going to, we're going to stay around here. I didn't realize around here meant, you know, as a crow flies two miles, but from a commute time, it was like triple. That's how we did it. And it was, I think it was done really, really well. And it was also done well because he was very upfront and we moved in a very timely manner, right? It wasn't like, let the rumor mill start about the move. We, we told people, we're looking to move. These are the places we're looking at. Very high levels of timely transparency. So the rumor mill again, didn't bubble up. And as soon as we signed the lease, like literally the ink was dry, we called the office from the new office and said, listen, we, we just want to let everybody know we just signed a lease and this is the address before you find out from anybody else. And that just kept people involved and that got, got a lot of buy-in and you know, made a very big change, not so big for people. And what do you do with the people who aren't with you, with the consternation and with people who are never going to get on board with your change? Yeah. You know, that, that's, a, that's a great question and it's very relevant even now. So outside of the corporate world, I'm also the board of our local church, the church that I grew up in. And the mask mandate was one of those where the governor says we have to wear a mask inside. We followed what the governor says, but we have a number of people in our church like, I don't want to wear a mask. Whatever, for whatever reason, whether it made them uncomfortable or they just wanted to be an, an objector because they didn't agree with it politically or for whatever reason it is. So folks like that, any organization kind of has the same behaviors, whether it's church, company, business, family, right? There's, there's so a lot of, lot of similarities there. You know, what we did with those who objected is we made sure that we were very clear as to why. Again, listen, the reason we're asking you to wear a mask is to protect others. It's not about you. It's about all these folks that you, you, you go to church with. You know, like most churches were filled with little old ladies. You know, we just want to protect the little old ladies. Can you just help us protect the little old ladies who go to our church? 
this was before vaccines and everything else were, were well rolled out. And then anybody who kind of continued to just kind of be belligerent about it. And we had a really honest conversation with them to the side. If the corporate communication didn't work and they didn't catch on, uh, we made an effort as a leadership team to kind of grab these folks and again, try to understand where they're coming from and reiterate our priority, safety of our group, compliance with the local government. We don't want to be shut down. You don't want the church to be shut down, right? You don't want the offices to be shut down because we're not following the rules. And then respectfully asking them, if you can't or if you won't, then don't participate. We'll make options available to you to do things differently, but really try to help them understand where we're coming from. Again, that honest transparency piece keeps weaving back in and in, in and out of the conversation. And in a corporate world, you have a little bit more muscle, you could be like, listen, if you're not going to get on board, we're going to ask you to get off the bus. And sometimes those are the tough conversations you have. You don't want to make examples of anybody, but sometimes in a corporate world, right, where it's not a family and it's not a church, but it's a corporate world, sometimes you, you have to cut the loss and say, listen, if you're going to be a cognitive dissenter to the change, we're either going to need to find another role for you where you're not as vocal, or we're going to need to let you go. And so how do you know that you've been successful? If you're leading change, and you're going to have the centers. There are people that are never going to get on board with you. So 100% compliance, 100% enthusiasm is not how you're going to measure success. How do you know if you've been successful in, in your change leadership endeavor? You know, I've always found some of the hardest change things. I find I measure success by the thanks that I get from those who I've been trying to lead through it. You know, very specific example, the change of, of firing somebody. I, I, unfortunately, I have to do that multiple times in my career. It's part of being a leader. You're not performing or you're not a good cultural fit or whatever the case may be. That's a big change, particularly for the person you're letting go. I had a guy thank me for letting him go. And to me, that was my measure of success for, wow, I really helped that guy through this change, right? He's like, thank you for, for firing me. I felt like I needed to quit anyway, right? So it's a weird kind of situation to be in. On a broader scale, it's almost like batting average. Did we get most of the people in the boat? The bus moving forward, stockholder sentiment for a big publicly traded company. What's the street think about what we did? And then there's always the, the internal tools like cultural surveys and pulse surveys and things like that, where we can measure that. And also how do you measure you know, the success of a change protocol like that and leading through changes? Well, did we get there? Right? Because if there's, if, there's, if there's enough people that are not on the bus, the bus will never leave the station, right? If we're waiting for everybody because they're all milling around outside, the bus will not take off. If it does, it's empty, right? And it won't go anywhere. So, hey, we're going from here to here, right? We're going to go from New York to LA. Did you get to LA in time? Did you, did you get there the way you thought you were going to get there? Did you have to go through Walla Walla, Washington, right? And come back around. Those are the, those are the questions you want to ask at the end. Makes sense. So I want to spend a minute talking about reorgs because I know that you know, you've been in, in front of reorgs in the past, you've been part of reorgs that others have been in front of in the past. As you think about reorgs, reorgs can be really unsettling for, for individuals that are part of them. The role that you've had, it's not clear where that role is going. The network that you've built and invested in, that sometimes the power brokers sort of move around and you don't have the same place within the power structure that you had. As you think about reorgs that you've been a part of, talk to me a little bit about what you've seen on your teams around the concerns that, that your team has coming into a reorg and also sort of how leaders should be thinking about messaging that transition for their people. Yeah. So yeah, it's a great question. And I'm in the middle of one now, you know, Unilever announced the global reorg a couple of weeks ago, right? And so the first concern of everybody is of course, a very transactional, what about my job? You know, the, 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 the papers grab it, the stock market grabs it and they say, oh, a reorg means they're going to lose people. And they throw some number out there, whether it's truthful or not. 
everybody worries about their individual job. So that, that's one of the main concerns you usually get. And then to your point, people are going to, well, what am I going to be doing in like three, six months, whatever the time frame is that they've laid out? And what does that mean for me? And, and, and how do we get there? And I, you know, I'm happy with the job I have. Uh, so, you know, when I think about managing my team or managing a team or a group of people, and, you know, as you get farther along in your career, you pick up a lot of people who you built relationships with that don't report to you, that still trust you for your insight and your feedback, right? Look, you got battle scars. Show me how you got through it. It's about allaying those fears right away. You know, my experience has been whether leading organizations through change or being kind of thrown on the bus in the backseat of change. Listen, folks, just keep doing what the organization is asking you to do. Keep doing your job really well. Uh, if you can do your job really well, they'll find a place for you in the new organization. Whether your job or your role is officially eliminated or not, they will find a seat for you. So keep connected to your power broker friends that may be moving around, right? Because they have influence still in the organization. But really the, the main thing is do your job, do it well. Make sure people know you're doing it well. Keep yourself well networked. People are moving around. They want to, you know, everybody likes to have that foundation. So maybe you're part of somebody else's foundation. So when you network with them, you reground them or they might reground you. But honestly, I feel if you're good at what you do or, or you're doing a, a good job at it, they will find a home for you. So you, that allays the first fear of, listen, don't give up because then for sure you might lose your job. Dig in, right? Roll up your sleeves. Think about what you need to get done to continue to be a high performing individual in your role on your team. And then also keep your ear to the ground. Listen to every time they have a meeting about it. Tune in, see what kind of information you can glean. Tune in to the global CEO, see what he has to say. Then listen to your local business leader. They might have a, an hour-long Zoom meeting that you want to listen into. And then you see where those intercept and where are the truths and where are the ambiguities. And, and then ask the questions of your boss, of your leader, of whoever the case may be. But again, just, just do a job. Do your job. Do it well. I think you'll survive. That, that's kind of been my, my mantra for, for everyone that's ever been in a reorg and like, oh, my job, oh, Oh, what am I going to do? Where are we going to end up? If I'm good at what I do and I have that flexibility of mind and that flexibility uh, of skill, uh, I, can, I can move around as well. And I think that's an important thing to give people as they get fearful on your team. Yeah, that's great advice for, for following through change. Keep doing your job well. And when your job changes, how, what would you recommend for ramping up quickly? Because your job is changing, the environment's changing, perhaps something that you've done the same way for the last five years, you've now got to learn a new trick. What's your advice as we're following through change for figuring out how to work a new job, how to work a new role, how to live into the new org and your new role within it? Yeah. So the first thing is relationships, relationships, relationships. Even if you're a debits and credits accountant or a technical operator or something like that, it's finding out who the players are in that. So even as a factory worker or a warehouse person, who are the people that help make the decisions that, that help and lead and guide us and, and build those relationships? As you get more senior, relationships are even more important. Right? Who's my new business partner? Ask them what's important to them. Introduce yourself to them so they know what's important to you. Because you know, you try to be a really good leader. You try to be a really good partner to folks. This is personal too, right? You ask people like, oh, how are your kids? How's school? How's work? And they never ask back. But you want to share that with them. So you need to be bold in your sharing too. So if I ask you as my new business partner, hey, Alyssa, what do you need from me as your business partner? And then you tell me, and then that's the end of your sentence. Be bold enough to say, hey, Alyssa, and this is what I'm going to need from you. I'm going to need this type of behavior. I want you to lead like this, whether it's a, you can even do it with your boss and what kind of boss you like. Are you a visual learner? Things like that. Uh, so relationships are number one. And number two is get clear direction from your vertical, from your boss, from your boss's boss. If you don't know, ask. 
right? That, that's probably the greatest challenge I've faced in every time I've changed jobs, right? I've had too many jobs to name, right? Even within same organizations, whether that through reorg or reassignment, right? Just ask a lot of questions to be clear what you're supposed to do, right? You want to completely understand what's being asked of you and then answer that questions or those questions completely. And, and without asking questions about the questions you're being asked, you might not have that. You'll make poor assumptions, especially if you're ingrained in, a, in an old way of working in a previous organizational structures way of working. And now it's different. Uh, you, you're going to need to ask. Maybe that's asking your boss. Maybe that's going in, in the Q&A in one of these larger forums and getting your question bumped up to the top because everybody's asking the same question. But you want to be a willing participant and a learner because any new job, whether it's through I changed careers, I changed companies, or my company changed around me. It's about asking questions and getting that transparency and being humble about asking those questions. Well, thank you, Brian. This has been a great conversation and hopefully our listeners can take your advice and apply it to changes and transitions in their own organizations. If you'd like to continue the conversation on change management and driving connection through moments of transition, you can visit us at blueswiftconsulting.com. Thank you again, Brian, this has been great. Thanks, Alyssa. Appreciate it so much and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely.